0: That's my <laughs> nice, so many gadgets, oh man, like I said, my name is Steven Wetzel, uh, I'm uh, the campus intern here, uh, Blue Ridge Church of Christ, yeah, come on campus, uh, leading the ministry uh, with my girlfriend, Amy Rosenquist, she's not here, she's taking care of the kids, serving, uh, being awesome like she usually uh, does, uh, but yes, Let's see if this works, boom, Title for my lesson today is Integrity Never Bends or Breaks. So I'm not actually used to like preaching with a ton of slides. So we're gonna try something new today. Yay. Bear with me. Uh, but we just got finished with the uh, the Book of Ephesians, and we've been going through the past couple weeks, uh, Old Testament characters. And I'm really sorry, but the first thing I'm gonna do is go back to Ephesians <laughs> in Ephesians 6 and just briefly hit something that uh, I think Paul hits really well. And uh, kind of ties into what I'm going to be talking about. But in Ephesians six, nice uh, verse ten, you know, Paul writes: "Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes." Uh, down in verse thirteen, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. And I love this passage because it highlights something that we see a ton in the New Testament, which is the idea of to stand, to stand firm, to endure, to last. And, and this, is, this is hit just all over the place because, you know, th- this idea that the goal is, is to endure, you know, not to run the race in vain, not to have put in all this effort for nothing, you know, not uh, uh, to, to build our house on a rock so that it doesn't, wash away, to build a tower that we're going to be able to finish, that will last. Uh, and Hebrews 3 uh, 14 highlights this idea when it says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. Right. You know, and this idea that the goal isn't just to become a disciple. The goal is to die a disciple. Yay. You know, the goal isn't to just begin the journey, but to finish the journey, finish the race, finish the tower. And there's a couple proverbs I think that outlined some great principles on how to do this. Uh, First one in uh, in Proverbs 11. Sorry, Proverbs 4. My fault. It's okay. Thanks, guys. Proverbs 4, verse uh, 25 reads, above all else. Oh, sorry, that's verse 23. Verse 25 let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or left. Keep your foot from evil. You know, this idea of, you know, of staying straight, you know, of of, of having our eyes fixed on the prize, not going to the right or left or deviating from our goal. Uh, And then in uh, chapter 11, verse 3. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And we see this this dichotomy or these two opposing ideas uh, that that Proverbs kind of always lays out between like what the righteous do and what the wicked does. But here it's the people with integrity, the upright, you know, the upright, their integrity guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And this is, you know, really what we're going to be talking about, this idea of integrity, you know, I think this idea of integrity, we, we really think of it sometimes, I think, as just honesty. Uh, we think, like, oh, yeah, integrity, like, tell the truth. Uh, we're, we're good. But I think this idea is so much bigger yes. than we really make it. You know, when we, when we just think about it, it's not, not lying, you know, or not like cheating or things like that. Really, I think biblically, and this is, this is a principle, I think, biblically, that comes up more in idea than it does in name. Right. But I, this idea of integrity is one of consistency, uh-huh. of having deep convictions that you don't stray from. Having deep convictions that you don't deviate from and hold too steadfastly. And really this idea is kind of linked to, to metalworking. And this, this idea of, of consistency and integrity uh, has a lot to do with, with metal, yeah. you know? And, and we talk a lot about this in engineering and I, I graduated in civil engineering at UVA. Okay. Uh, but you talk about, you know, the integrity of metal or the integrity of buildings, yeah. all right? If a building doesn't have integrity, it's going to fall over, yes. right. bad news, all right? Metal's integrity. Metal that has integrity, and buildings that are uh, have integrity are consistent. Uh, they, they don't they don't bend or break. And, and a building that with integrity stands up. And it's interesting because you know this analogy of of a building. You know, we when you build buildings in engineering, you don't want them to fall down, and you want them to have integrity. But I think you know the Bible talks a lot about building our ourselves as a temple. Yes. You know, we want that building to have integrity, so it doesn't fall over. No one wants to live in a house. Without integrity, like when you're when you're shopping, you know, uh, for a house, the real estate goes like, "This is a great location, great schools," but by golly, this thing might fall over anytime. Yeah. It's got zero integrity. You're like, "Okay, no thanks. Yeah. I don't want to live here. We don't want to be that kind of house for God. Amen. We don't want to be the kind of real estate that that gets passed up on because we're at risk." Uh, and I love how Ephesians six talks about uh, armor and weapons because you know, before the time of, of guns. Uh, the the height of weaponry was, was the sword. Yes. All right. Uh, the height of uh, you know the the, uh, the the nobility, their weapon of choice was the sword. Uh, and and the the most work went into crafting swords yeah. out of metal. Uh, the most work and the most care went into that because you know a sword used properly was was defense and offense. Yeah. A sword used properly could could overcome most other weapons. Uh, but needed to be of the utmost integrity. And, uh, you know, looking through history, I think this idea is really embodied with something like the Japanese katana, yes. uh, which is, is one of these kind of objects of renown and objects almost of legend uh, because these, so much work went into crafting a sword for the Japanese samurai. And, and the Japanese saw their sword, their, their samurai sword as an extension of their soul. And so they put the utmost amount of work and care into crafting these swords, uh, and put painstaking efforts into forging and using them. Because they saw them as an extension of their sword, they wanted them to have that integrity. And so only the best steel went to go going to create samurai swords. Uh, and the most effort was put into crafting these blades. Uh, and a sword without integrity, uh, and with, with any metal, really, if there's inconsistency any, anywhere along the blade of that sword, that is where it's going to fail. Right. Uh, and that, that goes for any kind of metal. The place where there is the most inconsistency, that is the location where it's either going to bend or break. And so in, in making steel, uh, y- y- you combine iron with carbon, and we won't get into all the details of that, but the carbon needs to be consistent throughout the metal. All right. And so when they would combine the, the, the metal or the iron with the carbon, they would fold it endlessly, about 14 times, to make sure that it was all spread out evenly, so that the, the blade wouldn't bend or break, totally consistent along the entire length of the blade, because they saw it as so important. It was their life. It was their soul. And I think, you know, when we, when we think about integrity in the same way, it brings a lot more... Uh, you know consistency to our own lives, where we're saying, okay, where are the inconsistencies in my life? Where are the points where I'm going to fail? And let, let's look at a, a great example of integrity in the Bible in Genesis 39. Uh, and this is a sword without any integrity. Uh, obviously, that's been broken. And uh, five, five bonus points, whatever that means. Uh, if you can come up after service and tell me what that sword's from, so take a good look after service. <laughs> Thanks, man. But amen. In Genesis thirty-nine, we're going to be looking at Joseph here. Joseph had the utmost integrity, the utmost consistency in his life. Uh, and this is one of the stories that we're familiar about, and just kind of get us up to speed before we jump in here in, in chapter thirty-nine. Uh, Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, and he had a bunch of brothers, and they hated him. All right, and Joseph did like literally nothing wrong. All right, Joseph was—they hated him for a couple of reasons. One, he was most loved by. Uh, their father. Yeah. All right, so there's a lot of jealousy there. But two, the Bible says that he gave uh, Jacob like an unfavorable report about his brothers. And, and knowing what we know about Joseph's brothers, they probably deserved it. <laughs> they probably did something sketchy. Because uh, we'll, we'll see here that they're, they're not the best of people. Uh, in fact, they hated him so much because of these things that they hatched a plot to murder him. Wow. It's just kind of intense of something to do to your brother. Not the first you know, like fratricide or, or killing of a brother in the Bible, but... Uh, they, they started out with murder, and then they settled for just selling him to enslavement Because they're like, we really don't want to get our hands bloody here And we can probably make a few bucks uh, going about this uh, And they, he, Joseph had these dreams uh, And his brothers were uh, slightly more intelligent than they were righteous So they figured out that jo- Jake, or Joseph's dreams meant that they were going to bow down to Joseph And that's what began this entire plot To, uh, to kill him and then to enslave him uh, and so Joseph is sold into slavery uh, and put in the house of this guy, named, uh, this guy named Potiphar. And I think, honestly, it would have been really easy to be bitter yeah. for Joseph. Because yeah. he's done nothing wrong. He's only you know, told probably the truth about his brothers to their father. He's, he's had these dreams from God that he just shared with his brothers. He, uh, uh, he was most loved. He, he's done nothing wrong, but what it's earned for him is enslavement. Separation from his family, his home, the people he loves. And I think it would have been really easy to be bitter and jaded, you know, to kind of give up on righteousness, to give up uh, on God. Uh, and after all, it was God's visions that kind of put him in this mess, yeah. you know. God, it would have been really easy to blame God in that day. But what it, what does Jesus do? Or sorry, not Jesus. Joseph do in captivity. Let's start in verse two of chapter thirty-nine. It says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of Egypt Uh, of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So things are going pretty well, all right? And things are looking up at this point. And it it turns out that Joseph hasn't really just like abandoned all righteousness and hasn't just become like super sketchy and been like, I'm going to live my life my own way. But he's actually prospering in the house of this Egyptian because of his righteousness. Because of how God is still blessing him. But there's just one small wrinkle that's thrown into here. this wrench that's thrown into the works. And we'll pick it back up in, uh, in verse 7. Okay. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you were his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went to the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he, scree- when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And so, small little wrinkle, his master's wife tries to sleep with him. All right. And I think, you know, it just would have been so easy. It would have been so easy, and I think there would have been so many, so many things that, that Joseph could have thought to himself to justify it. And if he, had, if he had any bitterness in his heart for his situation against God, against his Egyptian slave master, any of it, I think it just would have come to the surface right at that moment, yeah. in that moment of temptation. Uh, any bitterness for you know, where God had put him, and even just bitterness for his slave master and being like, man, like, I, I'm in charge of everything, but look, like I'm this guy's slave. Like, I might want to get back at this guy any any bit of inconsistency in this man's conviction or in his heart would have been tested right at that moment. Yep. But what does Joseph do? He refuses, not, not just once, but day in and day out. Uh-huh. Right. And then when she like traps him and like no one's there, no one's there to see, he still refuses. Even when it had been so easy, even with the pressure mounting and even with no one watching, Joseph doesn't bend or break. Yeah. His integrity is so clear here about who he is and how deep his convictions go. And he actually flees. You know, like 1 Corinthians 6, like flees from sexual immorality. But what does he get in reward for his righteousness? Prison. And like after doing everything right, it's like, congrats, Joseph. Like you did everything right. Exactly what God would have told you to do. Guess what you've earned? Prison. Like you've earned more suffering. You're in even a worse place than when you started you know, and when he had done everything right, his rewards were pain and suffering and betrayal from his brothers and gross injustice here, where he's thrown into prison for a crime that he, he did his best not to commit. Yeah. And I think most of us at this point might have given up. Most of us at this point would, would be out, because this is not like light suffering. I've never been in prison for years. Uh, and I, I can't even imagine Sometimes I'm like, man, like I'm suffering And like my struggles are so real I've never been put in prison for being righteous all right? I've never gone to that point uh, w- within, my, within my suffering I, I, I think I'm tempted just to bend On my convictions when there's like no pressure To sin When there's like no pressure to do what's wrong you know, Sometimes just under a little bit of threat Of discomfort It's a little bit of threat of suffering I can back off from what I know is right you know, even just the, a little bit of threat of discomfort, I can do that. And I think it's so easy, especially when no one's watching, just to make those small compromises. Yeah. Just to make those small little infractions. And, you know, to, I, I think for me it's so easy when I feel like the Spirit prompting me and being like, hey, you should go share with that person. You should go share uh, and, and evangelize and, and, and save this guy, try to save this guy's life and just be like, ugh, but it's uncomfortable and it's... It's a little just. uh, It's gonna be a little bit painful, and I don't really know. And just backing off of that conviction to seek and save the lost, Mm -hmm. or even in sharing, not to give my heart, not to really have faith. I don't really believe, uh, you know, or even you know, just with the the media that I ingest, it's just so easy. Just to be like, you know, it's not that big of a deal to watch. You watch something on Netflix that's not quite up Uh to par in righteousness. Just be like, no, I can handle it. It's not that big of a deal. And there's, like, no pressure whatsoever except for just my desire to be entertained, you know. And it, it, maybe it's not even that sketchy, but it's like, man, that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. It just lets these things into my life. Little bends in conviction, you know. Or to make just, like, jokes or comments that are, like, slightly, just slightly suggestive, uh, you know, or to, you know, uh, gossip a little bit. Uh, you know, talk, talk about what's going on in other people's lives just to be interesting, you know, or just to, just to kind of... Uh, make myself notice or get attention or things like that or when other people are doing it just to join in bending just ever so slightly on those convictions uh, for me and I think for most it's easy to give ourselves a break because it's like quote not that big of a deal right. yeah. uh, because we don't we don't think anything is going to become of it because we don't think anything bad is going to happen or our souls can handle it you know this pollution you know it, it's it's not that big of a deal my righteousness filter you know to the pure all things are pure like whatever I'm good but you know, going back to this analogy of metal, you know, if, if, if a piece of metal is bending when just under its own weight, just under, you know, no stress at all, it's probably going to bend when you put actual pressure on it. Yeah. Yes. You know, if, if, if things are, if there are little cracks in metal just from its own weight, it's going to fail yeah. under those great pressures. When there's actual stress involved, when there's actual testing involved, it's definitely going to break. I think it's, it's, easy. it's easy to look at people like you know, bankers or politicians and be like, those guys don't have integrity, because their lies are so like, big and bold and brash and obvious, uh, and just be like, yeah, these guys are cheating their ways to the top, like they're lying to get what they want. Obviously, they have no integrity, but I think our own integrity is found in the small compromises that we make, yeah. without any pressure. Yeah. You know, when it's just us in the room alone, what we're doing, that's where our integrity is really evident. Uh, you know, are we metal that bends without pressure or do we stand firm? And let's go back to another proverb. Uh, Proverbs 28, 1. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Are we the wicked that flee, that back of our conviction, even though there's nothing, nothing there to scare us? No real pressure. Are we the righteous who are bold as lions? You know, who don't back down from a fight, but also don't compromise when things are easy. Are we bold as lions? Are we that metal that has consistency, that has integrity? You know, and just just think for yourselves, like what are the small things in your life that you compromise? What are the things that, you know, quote, aren't a big deal that you just let into your life to kind of pollute you and and compromise your integrity? What are those things for you? And how deep do your convictions go? You know, uh, and are your convictions bent in convenience or under small pressure? You know, like when you go about your job, are there, are there corners that you cut just to make things easier? Because no one's going to know. or, or you know, It's not really that big of a deal. You know? Even in our relationships, our, our most uh, intimate relationships, you know, where people don't really see us you know, with, our, with our spouses or our children. You know, are we really exhibiting Christ? Or is it just easier to yell or raise your voice? Uh, to treat someone with disrespect because that's just the easier way to parent or to get your spouse to do what you want or just to manipulate uh, someone slightly? Uh, And you know what's happening, but maybe they don't. But just that little bent in conviction, you know, what is it for you? And I think, you know, some of us wouldn't make it as far as Joseph here in our righteousness. But I think, you know, uh, some of us are going through a lot or have gone through a lot. You know, maybe some of us do have Joseph-like stories. uh, And I think some of us have endured a ton. And this might be more of an analogous situation, but uh, what happens to Joseph under intense pressure? You know, he's put in prison Let's go over to uh, Genesis 41. You know, Joseph's in prison, and he's been called by Pharaoh to interpret his dream. Uh, and after all that happened, it, it's funny, because he got into this mess because of a dream. And now he's being called to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And I think it would be really easy to, like, not to trust God anymore. To be like, alright, like, everything I've done has earned me enslavement, separation from my family, separation from my home, and now imprisonment. Like I've literally sunk as far as I can go without death by my righteousness. And this is like, this is not a light situation. Like you're in front of Pharaoh. Like, if you say one thing wrong, you're dead. If he doesn't like what you say, you're 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 gone. The stakes are high. Mm -hmm. What happens in verse 15? It says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph says, I cannot do it. Just a reply to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And I think that's just so amazing uh, that Joseph still relies on God in this situation where everything that he had done up to that point had just earned him pain and suffering. He's like, look, I can't do this, but God can. I'm going to rely on him. And he goes on to interpret Pharaoh's dream. Uh, and, 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 you know, Pharaoh... Puts him in charge of Egypt. No, gives him all the glory and all the all, everything that his righteousness surely deserves. And you know, because of that, because of all the pain and suffering that he endured, and, and, and keeping his integrity, and keeping his morals, and keeping his reliance on God through thick and thin, p- no pressure, pressure, every situation. Because of that integrity, he's put in this position to actually lead Egypt. And because of it, he saves his family. Right. Because of it, he saves the nation of Israel because of what he's able to do with his position of power. But none of that would have happened if he bend, bent or broke through any of that. Exactly. And God threw so much in his way and took him through such a roller coaster of ups and downs. He gave him every opportunity to kind of back off of his convictions, but he didn't. And in the end, he was able to do something he wouldn't have been able to do before. If he had just stayed in Israel and not been enslaved in the first place, his family would have died of famine. If he had just stayed there, the whole nation of Israel would have been gone, donezo. God's plan would have been null. Because every one of those guys might have died from starvation. uh, Because of the famine he was able to prevent. Because of his thing. And, you know, the question is, do we trust that even when things are going poorly, even when everything's going wrong, you know, when our righteousness is earning us only pain and suffering that God is going to come through. That it's worth it to endure. Because it's so easy to break in those times. You know, if we lose a job or if we have a sick family member, if heaven forbid someone dies close to us, we get bad grades or we fail a class or, you know, your relationship doesn't work out or your heart gets broken or you have financial issues that are just crushing you under their weight. Do we trust it if we hold firm? Right. <coughs> yep. If we have integrity and we fe- refuse to bend or break, that eventually God is going to come through. Right. That if we hold firm in that consistency, that God will come through, and honestly, I think this is the difference between people who stick around and people who continue to grow, and people that, that either leave the faith or just become faithless right. and stick around and just don't grow. And I, you know, everyone who's been around long enough and continues to grow has one of those stories. Yep. You know, where things were tough because the Bible, the Bible guarantees it. Yep. Things are going to be tough yep. at some point. Uh, it guarantees discipline. This is how we grow. And I, you know, everyone here who who has endured and continues to be faithful, has had a situation where things looked really bad. And how we went through trials and hardships and wondered how could this possibly be God's plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think of uh, Ben Hutchins, who's not here right now, but hopefully he's listening on the podcast, you know, that's going to come out. But uh, I remember last summer, Ben had a rough time. And I remember uh, I had just gotten back from Europe and literally like the second day I was there, went out to camp to see some people. And Ben had just broken up with his girlfriend at the time. And just was just in such pain over everything that had kind of happened and was just like struggling to have faith. And I remember just seeing the pain in his eyes and how hard it was for him to just fight for joy and fight for, for righteousness. And just like, he was just wondering like why God was doing all of this. You know, and if he could really grow, if he could really repent, if, uh, if he could really uh, see what God had in store for him. And I just remember that it would have been so easy for him to give up in those times where everything it seemed like in his life was going wrong and you know, he was just confronted with so much and so many, so much, many of his weaknesses. Uh, but Ben had integrity. Yeah. Ben was consistent and I remember that Ben fought so hard to have those questions answered. Ben fought so hard just to keep having quiet times, to pray through these things, to continue to confess his heart, just pour out his pain onto God. And you know Ben had a rough first, first part of the semester, but man, he rebounded. Yeah. And Ben is so joyful, and he's so faithful. And you know, he he uh, was able to you know uh, study the Bible with Wuju and, and baptize him. Uh, and Wuju's faithful today. And you know, Ben led Bible talks at uh, UVA both semesters. And he's dating again, this an awesome uh, sister in Canada. And he's uh, he's going on this uh this multi like country journey around around the world uh, to serve God this summer. But it was because of his integrity, and because of he, he fought for all that that God blessed him, yeah. that God came through and, and he saw growth and he saw repentance and he saw God's plan through all of that. You know, and our, our integrity is seen in the small things, yeah. you know, Ben did the small things. Well, Continued to evangelize, Continued to have quiet times, Continued to pray. Didn't bend on his convictions, even when it was tough. And we have to be willing to look at the cracks in our integrity look at the cracks in our convictions because those are the places that we're going to fail when the pressure is on. If we're we're not under a ton of pressure right now, are we willing to take a look at that to prepare for the fight ahead that's going to come and really take a close look uh, and smooth over the cracks in our convictions and make sure that we have that integrity to prepare for the battles ahead? Uh, I think, you know, in a lesson like this, uh, it can kind of be a danger to, to become, like, make this this puritanical kind of witch hunt in our own lives. Just become like really nitpicky about like everything in our lives just for the like, kind of nitpicky sake. Uh, and I think some of us gravitate towards that kind of legalism. But it can be really discouraging and restraining when we're just like, okay, what are the, all the little things in my life that I need to repair? And I think when, our, when the focus is on ourselves, that can really become the case. Yep. When our focus is just kind of gutting it out and just like just being really just like in the lines just for its own sake, it can be so discouraging, but our focus is just on ourselves. But I think luckily we have an example that's greater than Joseph to follow. Let's look at how Jesus dealt with high intensity pressure and temptation. Go ahead and turn to Luke 4. (coughs) Sorry, I'm recovering from being sick here. Luke 4. Jesus went through a ton in his entire life. And uh, before he enters the ministry, he fasts for 40 days in the desert. And it's hot, and there's no water, and he hasn't eaten anything for 40 days. I've never done that. I've never had that kind of in- intense pressure in my life. But what happens, the tempter of all tempters comes to tempt him. Uh, and we see here, I'll just kind of paraphrase this for the sake of time, but, you no, know, verse three says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become Bread. And what Satan does here, he, you know, he tempts Jesus with his weakness and he tempts him on his pride. He says, if you're the son of God, go ahead and feed yourself. Like, you can do it. Surely you deserve it. Jesus counters, it's written, man does not live on bread alone. And then, you know, Satan tempts him. He says, bow down to me and I'll give you all the worldly glory that you deserve. Just bow down to me. And Jesus says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil says, you know, if you are the son of God... He said, throw yourself down from here. He had brought him up to a high place. For it is said, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And Satan tests Jesus on all, all sorts of levels. Uh, at his, like, probably one of the f- most physically weak points he, he had been in his life up to that point. And Jesus doesn't break and goes on to, you know, obviously live this life of amazing conviction never breaking, never bending on his convictions. But what does he earn for all of that? Mm -hmm. Suffering. Mm -hmm. And it says that when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And we know that what that means is on the cross. When the pressure was on, when his physical and emotional suffering and pain was at its greatest. And I think... Just all the, all the fear that Jesus would have had, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane and all the way through that process, just contemplating what it would have been like to be separated from God. That's what his conviction earned him, was suffering. But Jesus never broke. And he never did what he was tempted, probably tempted with, was to yeah. snap his fingers and just end it all. End all the suffering, end all the pain. And he did it for us. Jesus had integrity for us. His integrity earned us a reward. When it earned him only pain and suffering, you know, so that we might have integrity and not look ahead to only suffering, but look ahead to that great reward. Yeah. Look ahead to heaven, and you know, not not turn to the right or left, and get to the end and finish the race, not having run it in vain. And we'll close out in Hebrews twelve. Come on. Yeah. Hebrews ten, starting in verse one. Consider him whose righteousness earned him only pain and suffering, yet he didn't bend or break yeah. in his integrity. When we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, when we see the love that Jesus' integrity embodies for us, how he did it all for us, had that integrity for us, we're going to be prompted to go after it. Yeah. You know, to really go after it with joy instead of, instead of just this, uh, this, this discouragement A man, I don't measure up. Yeah. But just chase it. And I think the amazing thing is, is that Jesus' integrity is our own. You know, that, that we can go after his integrity rather than just a worldly integrity. That we stand upon the righteousness of, of Jesus in God's eyes. That this is how Jesus sees us. But let's, let's work to, to uh, fulfill Jesus' love in our own life and really fix our eyes on him as we go about, you know, really making sure that our blades are consistent. Yep. That we're not going to bend or break. That our integrity is going to build our tower to last. Yep. Uh, and thank you guys so much. Woo!